Hello, this is Tim, the lead pastor of Mosaic Portland, and welcome to the Mosaic Portland podcast. We exist to follow Jesus in authentic community for the world. And right now we're gathering Sundays online uh, to worship together and to open up scripture together. And then after that, we have virtual house gatherings that meet all over our city. And the great thing about these is that you can actually join in wherever you're listening from. We think these right now are the best way to be known, to connect with others, uh, and to be on mission together. They're also where we pray together on Sundays in smaller communities, where we take communion together and debrief what the talk was about and engage scripture more. If you want to find out more information of how to be a part of one in this season, you can find out more info on our website, mosaicportland.org. Now let's go to scripture together as we listen to this podcast. Welcome. I'm Tim. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic. And whenever and wherever you're watching or listening to this, it's just great to be with you in, in this way. We're in a series called Anchored with Jesus in the Window Waves. And last week, we, we talked about what it meant to be unified. When we're all anchored to Jesus, if, if you're anchored to Jesus, if you know Jesus, you're part of his family. And the call that we see in scripture is that we're unified. And we read this verse last week, and I want to pick up right where we left off last week and, and continue on. And listen to these words again. But it's a call to when we're anchored in Jesus, when we're unified, we actually live as this kind of people. And there's this call to us to behave and look like this. So just listen to this verse again. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's a beautiful picture. It's a high calling. It would be great if we exhibited that, if we embodied that, if others in our church family were that all the time, that would be wonderful. But the reality is, is we hear this call to unity, and particularly in this season at this time, and what we know is going on in the world around us and in our city and even in our homes, is that there's a lot of things that are pulling us apart and not together that there's plenty of opportunity to be disunified and even polarized. And so the question is, is how do we actually do this? It's a great idea. It's a great picture. It's a great calling. But how do we do that? So what I want to do right now with us together is, is hit just five things. And, and that's a lot. So I'm going to go really fast, but I'm pretty sure you can keep up. So five things that I think help us in how we keep unity. So uh, the first is this. And this is one that we can actually do physically together. First one, take a deep breath. It's really hard to take a deep breath, like really take a deep breath quickly. When you take a deep breath, you automatically slow down. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 say, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And then it says, because human anger, because human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. When we take a deep breath, we're forced to slow down. You have to slow down to take a deep breath. And it's really hard, at least I found it's really hard to, to take a deep breath and talk at the same time. I'm sure that's a talent that some of you have mastered. I haven't yet. But when we take a deep breath, it's hard to talk. And so we actually have an opportunity to listen. To be quick to listen, to be slow then to speak is a great place to start when we feel the, the very fabric of our unity being pulled out and stretched. When we feel like we're offending someone or we've been offended and all the things happen in our body and our minds and our hearts that, that can push us away from one another. Taking a deep breath is just a great place to start. It also allows us to have this ideal that is worthy of pursuing, of being non-anxious, 
of not being anxious in a particular moment, in a particular conversation, or even anticipating being in a conversation or around someone. To take a deep breath helps us to begin to be non-anxious. So that's the first thing. Just take a deep breath. Second thing is this, is to ask and answer the question in the moment of where are you? Asking the question, where are you? What it does is it, it orients us. It gives us an orientation of, of where we are because when we get into those places that can be, become intense, where we can maybe offend or be offended, where we can feel ourselves distancing from one another that we know we love and we care about, that it's helpful to know where we are. I want to read this verse again that I read last week as well, but Ephesians chapter 6 uh, gives us a, a reminder and, and tells us where we really are because it's so easy to forget. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 again says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, if you've heard that before, that's a, a reminder. If you've not heard that before, not considered it before, it's vitally important that you know and understand that there's more going on in this world than we see. There's more going on in this world that we can fully capture with our eyes or our ears. There's more going on in this world than what we read on our screens and hear updated and can take in to ourselves. That, that this reminds us that there are spiritual forces at work. And, and again, that might sound a little spooky, and it absolutely is. There are spiritual forces at work in this world that we cannot see, that we don't pick up on, that are beyond what our senses are aware of. And that's why it's helpful to read it in scripture and be reminded that there's forces at work for evil in this world right now. And one of those forces is Satan who wants to pull us apart, who wants to pull the church of Jesus Christ apart from itself, that he enjoys disunity. He enjoys divisiveness. He enjoys human beings who know Jesus, who are anchored in Jesus, and yet still can't get along with one another. Satan thrives with that. And one of the reasons that he finds success at moments like this, historical moments like this one, is that we believe some of his lies. And so orienting ourselves to where we are, that we're in the midst of a spiritual battle, and then also orient ourselves at this point in history, that, that we're going into an election cycle, and you might have wanted to avoid talking about that on a Sunday or whenever you're listening to this, but the reality is, is that we're in an election cycle, and that is one of the things that we're seeing and hearing about a lot. And if you've been able to kind of stay aside from that and not get embroiled in that in some way, please help me know how to do that, because I, I haven't been able to do that. I've gotten into a lot of discussions and reading and, and going back and forth with people, and hopefully most of that has, has not been harmful in any way. It's been, been good, but yet it, we, get, we get tied up into it. And so it's helpful to remember, even where we are in history, big picture, spiritual realm is absolutely at war right now. But even historically, where we are in the year 2020, one of the things that we all hear, and we've heard it over and over and over again, this is the most important election of our lifetime. And I, I don't normally consider myself a prophet, but I would like to prophesy, in four years, you'll hear that again. In four years, we're going to hear the exact same line again. This is the most important election in history. That's going to happen in four years. You'll hear that. I'll hear that again. And here's the reality. We're going to hear that in eight years again. And, and you know what? They heard it four years ago. There wasn't a point in an election in the U.S. where somebody said, hey, you know what? This is like 13th or 14th most important election ever. That's never happened. So we get heightened that this is so important, and it is. But to understand where we are in the scope of history that this happens over and over again, that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Civilizations come and they go. 
They build up and they tear themselves down. We in the United States of America fit into that wider history. We're not outside of it. While this is in many ways a great country, we're not exceptional and unique in all others. We're better in some ways, we're worse than in some ways. But we fit into this point in history. So after we take a deep breath and we get our orientation by answering the question, where are we? There's a more important question that comes, and it's the third thing. And that's asking and answering the question of who am I? Who am I? Am I in the midst of a, of a conversation with somebody that might begin to pull us apart and break unity of stopping and answering the question, who am I? There's a small book by a professor and doctor named Lee Camp named Scandalous Witness uh, that I just read this week. The subtitle to it is A Little Manifesto, Little Political Manifesto for Christians. And in his intro chapter, he says, if we're going to be the non-anxious presence of Jesus in our culture, in our society, in the United States of America right now, one of the things that we have to have deep clarity on is our identity. And while he said that in this year, he wrote the book this year, uh, about 400 years ago, somebody else said it a little bit different. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., that's who Martin Luther King Jr. is named after, but Martin Luther is a 16th century, was a 16th century priest and reformer, 95 thesis on the wall that he nailed in 1517. Martin Luther says this, for every temptation from Satan, every temptation of Satan, including his lies, when his lies sneak in, every temptation of Satan should be met with, I am a Christian. Our first response is, I am a Christian. Whatever the temptation is, whatever temptation comes towards us and flying at us, that if we stop in that moment and say, I'm, I'm a Christian, it's almost like naming ourselves. My name is Tim. When I say that, I, I reorient to who I am. I'm reminded of who I am. When I say I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, it helps me remember who I am. And when I remember who I am, I remember how I am to live and behave of the people that I'm linked arms with, the people that my identity is shared with, the people that I'm unified with, the Savior that I'm anchored to helps me know how to respond and live. I heard this story in, in my virtual house gathering that I'm a part of just last Sunday. Uh, I did not ask for permission to share this, so I'm sharing it anonymously, and I hope we can still be friends. But a great story that I want to share with you that happened within the life of our church family. A few weekends ago, uh, one of our Mosaic communities took the weekend and went and stayed together. They all went together out uh, uh, to the coast and spent the weekend, several nights together in a couple houses out at, at the coast. It was a, a community within Mosaic, and, and most all of them, I believe, are empty nesters. So it just makes it easier to go stay at weekend at the coast. I'm a little bit jealous. But a group of empty nesters that are part of, uh, of our church family spent the weekend at the coast. And before they did that, knowing that they're in different places politically, knowing that they're going to vote for different candidates in this upcoming election, they communicated to one another and say, okay, we need some ground rules of how to spend this weekend away so that it's a good weekend, so that we don't pull apart, so that we don't fight. They set some ground rules. They went and spent the weekend. And I heard in my virtual house gathering uh, last weekend that one of them said, you know what, this is how we did it. And it, it went really well. We had a, a great time together. We love each other. We care about each other. We're part of the same church family. We're on mission together. We support one another. We were able to have a great time away because we said, we're not going to talk politics this weekend. That was one of the things that they were, they were able to remember who they are. We're first and foremost anchored to Jesus and not to our political party. When we remember who we are, it helps us know how to behave. The other thing it does, and this is the fourth thing, is after we answer who we are, that we come to, to identify priorities. If you can take a deep breath 
you answer the question, where are we in, in this, the, the spiritual battle that's going on in this point in history, if number three of you can answer the question, who, who am I? I'm a follower of Jesus first and foremost, and then get to number four and identify the priorities in that moment. Again, looking at this, uh, this group of empty nesters that went away uh, for the weekend, when they were able to say, uh, hey, we're, gonna, um, we're not going to talk politics, we're going we're gonna to have a great time together, one of the things they did within that was identify what was most important and is identify their priorities. And one another was their priority. We're going to care about you, not just how you vote. We're going to care about you and not what's going on in the political climate of today. We're going to care about one another and spend time focused on one another. That's a priority. Another thing it does is says, we're going to prioritize our commonality in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that that's what unifies us and not the color that we vote for, the candidate that we vote for. That's a beautiful thing and it's an important thing. As we identify priorities, I, I want to, if I can, kind of step out and, and talk to maybe a, a, another part of who we are as a church family. And I want to do this because I've heard this question by, from a number of, of young adults within our, our church community, is how do we talk to parents through this season, and especially knowing that we've got a holiday season coming up, when our parents are in a different place politically, then we have different ideas about how society should function right now. And so just a, a, a couple things to, to maybe suggestions for those conversations that you're concerned about or, or that might happen. So if you're a young adult and you've got parents that maybe are, are followers of Jesus or not followers of Jesus, three quick things that I, I think are helpful. Uh, and one is kind of internally for you. The second one is a question to ask. And then, and then the third one is a, a statement maybe to make. And the, the first one is internally for you is, is, is stick to the biblical call to honor your parents. They might vote differently than you. You, you might have actually figured everything out and are hoping to go tell them and direct your parents on how to vote, um, that you wouldn't be the first one to, to do that. That's happened a lot, and, and that might actually be helpful. But in doing so, could you honor your parents? Or they might think completely differently than you, and you find it's really hard to honor them, is, is find a way, even in these conversations, to honor your parents. When you become a parent, one of the things that you learn is that there's a whole bunch of things that parents do that we never see as we grow up that there are ways that your parents have given and sacrificed to you that you will never know. So while they might not have a clue when it comes to politics, they've loved and sacrificed for you. And that's why it says in scripture to honor your parents. It's one of the reasons why. Honor them, even if they're not honoring you, even if they're not being respectful to you in the way that they talk about it, find a way to honor them. The second one is this, is, is ask questions. You might have something you want to tell them and inform them and teach them about and share how you've learned something more in your life. And those are all valuable things. But ask questions of your parents. Hey, how long have you believed that? Where does that idea come from? When you were my age, how did you vote? What did you think about? It gives them a chance to share more. It might actually push through just fighting and arguing with each other. And the, the last thing is this, is after you've kind of tried to honor them and, and, uh, and ask some questions, is, is, the, is the third idea is this, um, is, is share that what you think about politics is actually not your identity. Find a way in the conversation to say, you know what, I feel strongly about these things. I know how I'm going to vote. This is why I think that. But what's more important than that is that I'm a follower of Jesus. And that might be a place of unity with your parents, or it might be a place of where you don't align. You're not unified on that. And so if you're not aligned on that, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you're talking to your parents, it gives you an opportunity to be a witness to say, this, this, how I'm voting is not the most important thing. The most important thing is that I'm anchored to Jesus. He sets the, the direction of my life and, and my identity. There's a, uh, 
a truth that is maybe difficult for us, regardless of our age, to consider in this season. Uh, and that's this. Um, I mentioned it last week is that for us as a church is Mosaic. I, I didn't do any data. I didn't do a survey, but uh, this isn't scientific. But I, I have this sense that as a church, we're about 50-50, that 50 of us are going to vote in one direction and 50 are going to vote in another, that 50 of us probably lean more Democratic and uh, 50 of us lean, lean Republican, um, that we're, we're about split, that there's not a strong majority of one or the other in our church right now. And as I shared that and heard back from a number of people is um, we react to that differently. Some some felt really encouraged, like, wow, I'm not in a strong minority. I'm, there might be 50% in my church family. That's great. Others were devastated and going, wait, what? There might be up to 50% of the people that don't know what I know and aren't voting with me. There was different reactions. Let me say this, and this is what might be, might be difficult truth to, to realize or to consider or to reflect on. If you're having a hard time considering that a follower of Jesus that you are united to as part of the family of God, the body of Christ, that there's a follower of Jesus out there, and maybe within your own church, 50%, every other person, that's not voting or thinking the same way that you're thinking about politics. If that's really hard and a huge struggle for you, it could be because you think that your vote and you believe that your vote, and maybe you even hope that your vote is helping to bring more of the kingdom of God to our nation. That the way that, that you vote is actually helping God help the U.S. That it's helping God help more people in our country. It might be because of that. Because for you to think that somebody else is not voting with you doesn't have the same value of partnering with God to help people and to help our nation. That might be what you're thinking. And the truth is, is that there are people who follow Jesus, who think well, who think biblically, who pour through scripture, who discern, pray, and vote differently than you when you've done all those same things. If that is really hard for you, you may be thinking that your vote is helping to bring the kingdom of God. And if that is going on with you, you need to know that what you're doing when you do that is taking the kingdom of God in your faith and blending it together with our nation. And we hear over and over throughout scripture that we're not to do that. Scripture even calls that a way of prostituting our faith of linking it to a nation in any way. And that can happen on both sides of the political spectrum. And so please don't point the finger at one thinking the other is innocent. It's simply not true. We do it on both sides. And so rather than doing that, rather than linking our faith to the politics of our nation, we're called to be unified as a family of God, distinct in this world. I love it the way that, that Tim Keller says it. He was a, he's a retired pastor and he's an author and he writes uh, this in one way. He says, um, if you only offend or only attract the world with your political beliefs, if you only offend or only attract the world with your political beliefs, then you can be sure that you're failing to live as you ought to. That might take a minute to digest, but in it, what we're called to do is both attract the world to us and offend the world when we're following Jesus. That is bound to happen. If that's not happening with you, there's a wonderful opportunity for you to grow because there's part of the call of God in your life that's being neglected in some way, and that could happen in a lot of different ways. We're not to meld with or assimilate or to join the world. That's not where our anchor is. Our anchor is in the person of Jesus Christ who both attracted and offended almost everyone around him. 
even his disciples, a friend of mine shared this with me this week, even his disciples, in Matthew chapter 10, there's a list of the first apostles or the 12 disciples. In Matthew chapter 10, verse three, we, find, we come to one of the 12, there's just a list of all 12, and it's Matthew, and he's a tax collector. And the very next verse is, chap, is verse four, and it's Simon is listed as a zealot. And in Jesus' initial family, his initial community of these 12 men, we have a tax collector and we have a zealot. We have a tax collector who had blended his life with the ruling party, the Romans. Jews didn't rule their own nation at the time, didn't rule Israel, the Romans did. And he had gotten a job with them and politically was affiliated with them and it was working out really well for him. He made a lot of money. And in, his, in that family of Jesus was both Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. And zealot translates at that time as dude in chat room trying to get weapons to kill other people. So you had Simon who wanted to kill the Romans and was getting weapons to do so, and you had Matthew, and they actually became part of the same family. And they let go of those allegiances and priorities and prioritized being anchored to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So take a deep breath, find your bearing on where you are, identify who you are, identify the priorities as one another and first and foremost, Jesus. And then finally, the last one here, let's pray. Let's pray together. Let's be praying that, that we don't have all the answers. We don't know. We don't see everything. That we need God and his Holy Spirit to direct us now, maybe in a heightened sense more than every other, any other, so that we could be this distinct people that is humble, that is gentle, that is patient, that bears with one another, and that keeps the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. Let's be those kind of people. We're actually going to pray together. Uh, in a few weeks, on Sunday, November 1st, we've been doing Abide on, on Sunday nights together, um, and we will be doing tonight as well, and there might be room, and you can still RSVP. But we're going to pray as a church. We can go up to 50 people on November 1st at 5 p.m. If that fills up, we'll add another time. But about 48 hours after that, we'll go into this election. Let's be prayed up as a church and as individuals that we're unified and ready for whatever happens on November 3rd and the days and weeks following. And more than that, let's pray right now uh, before we worship again together. Jesus, we need you. We need your help even in being anchored to you. We're very well aware that, that while we can hold on to you, what's far more important is that you're holding on to us. And don't let us drift away. Don't get, let us get turned over and, and sunk by the wind and the waves in this season. But would we be your distinct sons and daughters, anchored to you, linked to you, defined by you, empowered by you, forgiven by you, would you help us as we seek to live for you to be your hands and feet in our city at this time? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.